Okay, so Second Peter chapter 1, verse 8 to 11, that's where we are. Uh, following on from Peter's encouragement to supply certain things to our spiritual life, he talks about, um, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Um, I think these verses cause a lot of consternation uh, in people. And, um, and I think that... Uh, it's probably really important that we come to an understanding of how they fit into Peter's letter and, and, and that we remember what he's writing about. Um, so we've already talked a lot about what Peter, what is his purpose for writing this letter? So can somebody remember what the purpose is? Yeah, it's mostly a warning about false teaching. That's what this letter is about. It's a warning that, that there is an enemy and that he is at work inside the church. The first letter that Peter wrote was about the enemy at work outside of the church, i.e. coming at them from persecution. But this letter is about the enemy at work within the church. And so it's really important that we have that understanding as we dissect these different sections of the letter and one of the things that I found out this week which I hadn't I've never seen before I don't know why maybe I haven't I've forgotten I don't know but I looked up the word supply in, in verse 5 Peter says um, now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence knowledge and then he goes on to the other things I looked up that word supply and I found that it meant something slightly different or what I found gave me a bigger amplification of the meaning of that word. And uh, that word means minister. So um, it really changed the way that I looked at what Peter was um, telling them or suggesting to them that they do. Um, he's um, asking them to minister to themselves. Minister to yourself moral excellence and in that moral excellence, knowledge, and in that knowledge, self-control, and in that self-control, perseverance and patience and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. But it's this idea that we would minister these things to ourselves. So when you think about ministering, <coughs> what does that bring to mind? Service. Service, yeah. <coughs> Who would you minister to? Each other. Yeah. Someone in need. Yes. You would you would minister to someone in need. Um, and what what would you minister to them? What they need. What they need. Yes. Yeah. So someone in need. What other sort? What someone in need would be? Describe that person in need. Different aspects of a person who was in need. Somebody who's beleaguered. Someone who's beleaguered. Yes. Lives in the past. Yeah. Yeah, lives in the past. Someone who's weak. Mm -hmm. Someone who is lacking in things. Someone who uh, is hungry. Someone who's thirsty. Someone who's homeless. Someone who's 
these are the sorts of people we would minister to. We would minister to those people who are in need in all sorts of different ways. That's the word Peter uses. Minister in your faith, minister moral excellence. And it, it really did, as I say, it changed my understanding of what he's talking about here in that he's not saying muster up moral excellence and add it in and then get a bit more knowledge and add that in and then, or supply that and then self-control and then supply perseverance and patience. Basically, he's saying, do yourself a favour. You are in need. Minister to yourself. Minister to yourself. And how would we minister moral excellence, for example? To ourselves. Yeah. How would you minister moral excellence to yourself? Remind yourself about the truths in the Bible. Yes, 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 yeah. Receive conviction, you would accept what God tells you needs yes. to change. Yeah, yeah. Think about it in terms of ministering. So think about it in terms of what you would do for someone who is helpless or someone who needs help because that's the picture of ministering and supplying it's there's a gracious love in it and a merciful um, act in there you know Peter's saying be merciful to yourself be gracious to yourself and minister to yourself um, and think about that so moral excellence where has he used that phrase moral excellence before Or excellence, where is he used in excellence? Verse three. three, who was excellent or whose excellence is it? It's, yeah, it's Christ's excellence. Who, what does it he say? Who, um, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So Christ Jesus called us by his own glory and excellence. And now Peter's saying, so for this reason, because you may become a partaker of the divine nature, because you have escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust, for this reason, minister moral excellence to yourself. Minister it to yourself. Well, where are you going to find that moral excellence? In Christ. And what's Peter already told you about your uh, partaking of the divine nature and your relationship with Christ? What's he already told you that God has done? Supplied everything for life and godliness. So I, I, this morning I used this um, this urn. And, and what I said was, if you imagine that this is a, a, a living well or a well of living water and that this is Christ... And, and Peter is saying, God has supplied everything for life and godliness in this relationship with Christ. Now minister things to yourself. And basically what he's saying is, take some of that and use it to minister to yourself. Take the excellence of Christ. Take the godliness of Christ. Take the self-control of Christ. Take the perseverance of Christ. Take the patience of Christ and minister those things to yourself. Do you see what I mean? So you're doing it by believing it. Well, you are, but what, you're, but what you're doing mostly is understanding it's all here. Yeah. It's here. I don't have to stir up moral excellence over there. I don't have to come up with my own way of it. I can just come here and, and take from this because God says everything I need is there. And that's within. Exactly. <laughs> it's, and it's within, yeah. It's a picture of something outside, but it's, it's within. 
Um, exactly. And, and he has supplied, God has supplied everything we need for life and godliness. Mm -hmm. In our experiential knowledge, look at the, what he says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So, um, God has provided everything we need for life and godliness. So when Peter's saying, for this reason, add this, or supply this, he's saying, minister this to yourself. Minister it into your life. Um, so that took me on then to the word knowledge. What's that word knowledge? Because actually you brought it up, Eve, last week, and I think that's what sent me back into it, because there are several different types of words for knowledge in this section. So the word for true knowledge that he uses in verse 2 and verse 3 is epignosis, and it means clear and exact knowledge which expresses a more thorough participation on the part of the subject. So we are participating in this relationship, in this knowledge of Christ. Yeah, epignosis, E-P-I-G-N-O-S-I-S. -S. Clear and exact knowledge which expresses a more thorough participation on the part of the subject. So we are participating in this knowledge. So it's experiencing. We are experiencing what we know. So what he's saying is that uh, God has called us through that true knowledge, through that epignosis, through this relationship, experiential knowledge, has called us, has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. But now when he goes on and he says, in your faith, um, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, he uses a different word. That word is, comes from the same root, but he basically talks about a, a, a sort of present tense fragmentary knowledge, so a small piece of knowledge, and, and which is happening in your present tense. So it's like, I have a relationship with Sue, and we know each other, and we, you know, we have this relationship, we know each other quite well, and we go on and on, but then, uh, because I'm spending time with her, I get to know little bits of extra knowledge about you, and so I'm adding that to my, my experience, my overall experience. That's what he's talking about. So, in the same way I can add those little bits of knowledge as I live with Christ, I'm also adding moral excellence, and I'm also adding patience, and I'm also adding uh, perseverance and self-control, and I am ministering those things to myself. That's the key word. I am ministering those things to myself. You see, if I say to you, Peter's saying, I mean, we've got to add moral excellence. I mean, we've just got to add it. We've got to supply moral excellence. Well, I don't know what, what you're going to do. You're going to run around, aren't you? How am I going to do that? How am I going to add moral excellence? I don't know how to do that. And you're going to be scared and, and thinking, how will I do that? But if you take the word minister, I want you to minister moral excellence to yourself. It's like a healing balm that you've got from somewhere else. It's like minister this to yourself. So now I may not know how to do that, but it's for sure I'm going to want to. <laughs> I'm going to want to do that. And he's already told me that the excellence is from Christ and that I've been given everything I need for life and godliness. So he's not asking us to do something extra. He's asking us to, to take from what's already been given but minister that to ourselves. 
increasing knowledge and Exactly, increasing in knowledge and understanding. That's what Paul said in Colossians, that we're adding all the time, we're supplying this or ministering this to ourselves. Mm. And I, I mean, it really changed the way I thought about these verses mm. um, this week. Um, yeah. 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 Exactly. And he says we are partakers. What's that word? He says, uh, so that by, by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. So that's like I am literally taking part of Christ and ministering that to myself. So we know we're a sharer in the divine nature. I mean, we know that in an abstract form because we know we have the Holy Spirit within us. But this idea of actually partaking is a different thing, isn't it? Now it's like, okay, it's all here, and you can partake of this and minister it to yourself. And what you're going to be ministering to yourself is stuff that's really going to help you to have life and godliness and to live that life. I mean, of course it's tricky, how do we do it? <laughs> you know? So we know that that's what we're doing. We're ministering to ourselves something that, that God has said is there for us, and in that way we're partaking of, of Christ, the divine nature. How we do it will depend what it is that we're ministering to ourselves. Um, I mean, I, this morning I've talk, we talked about moral excellence, and, and, and of course moral excellence is, is excellent morals. <laughs> it is, and it's... It's living a holy life. It's, it's all the stuff we would know to be moral excellence. So when you break it down, how do I add, how do I supply that? How do I minister that to myself? How do I minister moral excellence? How would I do that? And we talked about individual examples of that. And, and, and the bottom line is we cannot be excellent. We can't even have a whole day of morality. And the whole, the whole point is that only Christ can live the Christian life. So again, that ties in with, as I'm ministering him to myself, I'm actually partaking and becoming morally excellent because he is doing that in me. Because in a way, he's living the excellent life through me. I mean, God has decided that he wants it to be that we have play a part in this sanctification process. And, and it, that must be because that is a way of him blessing us. Because God is a blessing God. Mm. So it can't be that he wants you to do it so that you constantly fail and you just feel bad all the time. It has to be because in this partaking, in this uh, ministering to ourselves, we are receiving blessing and at the same time being transformed into the image of Christ. Um, so as we do that, as we lay hold of things, and I, I didn't want to this morning, but I had to use the example, my own example, because uh, it's hard to get people to open up really seriously about themselves, but um, you know, my, my drinking, which everybody knows about, and that's a really clear example to me because God did that. I didn't do it. I ministered him, his, his excellence. I had to minister that to myself. But all that took was me believing that he would do it. And he did. I say all that took. It took, it took me a long time to get there. But, but that's all it took, was me believing and trusting that 
it was all there. And, and he would do it. But did you not have to work at it? No, I promise you, Pete. It was a miracle. It was. Um, I mean, for 10 years I tried to work at it. But then you must have wanted it because it just didn't happen for 10 years. You don't know if that came, it doesn't happen. It's just like that. You, something's got to give, hasn't it? Well, I, I think I've said to you before, I mean, I would say over and over and over again, uh, Lord, I just don't want to be doing this. I really don't. Could you take it from me? Could you take it from me? And, and mostly what I would hear would be God saying, but I've already given you what you need. You must choose. You must choose not. And, and, you know, I'd spend a few days and it was good and then it wouldn't be. So, I mean, I wasn't rolling around drunk, so nobody would have known. But, but it wasn't happening. And it wasn't until God said to me, and we can't go any further if you don't stop. Not that I don't love you, but we just can't go any further. That I realised the enormity of what this was, how this was keeping me from more of God. And I just thought, okay, that's it then. But I didn't do anything then. I didn't fight. I didn't, you know, I didn't remove all the bottles of wine from our house. I didn't never go out to a party. I didn't, ever, I didn't do any of that. In fact, I thought when I started, well, how... Christmas is four months away. I'm never, oh no, actually it was eight months away. I'm never going to not be able to have champagne at Christmas. I love champagne. But Christmas came and went and it was gone. How wonderful. It was wonderful. But what I'm saying is I don't think that I, I didn't work at it. What happened was I just took God at his word. And so I ministered to myself the character of Christ. And, you know, I mean, it's an amazing thing. You make it sound simple, but... Sure, it isn't. Well, it, it was simple in doing it. The battle beforehand was difficult because my own nature and the enemy doesn't want me, doesn't want us to get to that place. But the doing of it, once I saw it in stark contrast, it, that was simple. Don't you feel that the Lord opens up an area of your heart through his love to give you that strength and then you, you don't even want it anymore? I think... I, yes, maybe. I, I, I'm not saying any, it might all be true. You know, he does all those things. But what I'm saying is that I'm taking Peter's letter and saying, that's what I did. I ministered the truth about Jesus to my life. I took from the well of living water and I trusted that it would be gone. And it was gone. Um, yes, exactly. Exactly. I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And that's what I think sometimes we get caught up in, how will I ever do that? And it stops us actually trusting that yeah. Jesus will do it in, in and through me. And yeah, so yeah, I don't want to add any words because that's, that's, that's right. So what Peter's saying, I think, is everything you need for life and godliness is there. Minister those things to yourself. Minister those things to yourself. And... Um, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what he's saying is, if you're growing in those qualities, he comes back now to the experiential knowledge and says, they, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. Um, so what does he mean by fruitful? If, if, we, if we're not unfruitful, we're fruitful, so what does that mean? Yeah. But looking at it like that, it's not 
just that. No, it isn't, know. exactly. It's more about fruit in your own life. Exactly. Growing in the Lord. Yeah. It's the fruit of the Spirit, exactly. And I think that, that sometimes what we do as Christians is we know that we're here to represent Christ. And, and, and I, I'm often saying that, what you're doing on the planet if you're not doing that, you know. But I think we forget the great love that God has for us and how he wants us to be like Christ because he knows that we'll love being like Christ. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like he's standing there with a stick, mm -hmm. it's that he's saying, please minister this healing balm to your life mm -hmm. because you will love what happens to you as you do that. And, and that's the truth. I love the fact that I don't drink. I absolutely love that. I love where God has taken me since then. I just love it. Everything is just fuller and better and bigger in my life. And I would never go back to where I was. Even though I knew God and even though he knew me and I knew he loved me, I would never go back there. And that's, that's the reality and that's what Peter's saying. So fruitful, I know that I'm more like Christ now than I was then. I absolutely know that and I'm so pleased about that. And that's what he wants each of us to have, that understanding. Um, I know, yeah. No. It's the opposite. It's well, it's, and actually, it's him, the him the glory. Because if, you're, if you say, well, you're oh, no, not really changed, you know, blah, 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 you're denying what he's saying. Um, hmm. So fruitfulness, you know, witnessing to Christ and becoming more and more like him. You know, his, he is working out the character of Christ in us. And, um, and, and, and what will you find then if you are becoming more like Christ, if you're taking on the character of Christ more, what will, what will be like real evidence in your, in your life? I don't mean that things you do, I mean just the way you are. What will be the evidence? Yeah. Yeah. What well, when John described Jesus, he said, "We beheld His glory, full of grace and truth." So, what you will find when Christ's character is being formed in you more and more, we find that we are more gracious. We are just more gracious to other people, and we hear and see the truth much more clearly because Christ's character is now being formed in us and he, he is the truth and he, obviously his, his spirit is enabling us to discern truth. Now why, why do you think Peter's going on about this in this letter? Because there are false teachers peddling fake knowledge and fake information about Jesus. And, and exactly. And he knows if you go through this process, if you believe the first four verses, and because you believe them, you minister the truth to yourself, you will end up being useful and fruitful and you will not and, and you'll be full of grace and truth. Obviously we can't be Jesus, so who was full of grace and truth, but we will be more gracious and we will see the truth and speak the truth much more, um, yeah, much more ably. He says, um, for he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So he goes on to talk from fruitfulness, he goes on to talk about vision, you know, spiritual vision, spiritual sight. Um, um, what's the contrast he makes? 
So he said about if you, if you, um, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. But if you lack these qualities, you are blind or short-sighted. Um, so that's the contrast: being useful and fruitful or blind and short-sighted. He uses two different things, but he's actually contrasting them. He's saying, this, this is because of the, quali the um, qualities that you're, um, of characteristics of Christ, and this is what happens if you're not growing in, your character, in the character of Christ. Um, so who do you think he's describing? Verse 10, uh, verse 9. Well, yeah. Could be. Um, Peter doesn't mention them, though. He's not talking. He's writing a letter to believers who are um, in danger from false teaching within. So who do you think... I mean, is he talking about believers or unbelievers? What's he talking about? Believers. Believers. Exactly. Because he says, if you're, you're blind and short-sighted and you have forgotten your purification from former sins. So they obviously have been purified from their former sins, but they've just forgotten that they've been purified. So he's talking about carnal Christians. He's talking about Christians who never grow up. He's talking about Christians who just stay where they are. Who, and, and why do you think he's talking about that? In the, in the light of the whole letter, what the whole letter's about. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And the deception will cause you to do that as well. So that's like a vicious circle. If if you are n not growing in your characteristics of Christ, if you are not ministering to yourself, if you've just decided, well, if you've never even heard about it, you're not growing, therefore you're more prone to deception. But also the deception makes you stop growing. So, the, the, so it's like this circle that goes on. Yeah. Um, and what Peter talks about is, uh, he uses the word which, from which we get myopia. So, um, so you get spiritual myopia. You're either blind, i.e. you've got no sight at all, or you've got short-sightedness. What does short-sightedness do? What, is it, what does it mean? If you're short-sighted, what does it mean? You can't see long distance. You can only see here. If you can't see long distance in terms of the deception that's going on, which he'll talk about in Chapter 3, what was the, de the deception that he's actually going to quote in Chapter 3? The biggest one. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Look at this, verse, um, verse 3. Know this, first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. If you start to go blind, or if you have short sight, it takes your eyes off eternity, off the second coming of Christ, and focuses everything on where you are now, right now. All the kind of close vision. So it's all about you, it's all about your circumstances, it's all about what's going on. And you forget, and you stop looking at what is going to come, which is Jesus Christ. 
on his second coming. That's why he's talking about it. That's why I think he's talking about it in this way. He's saying there's a way to remain strong. There's a way to, to have really good spiritual sight. There's a way to eat healthy and be healthy. And that is by ministering these qualities to yourself. By ministering, taking from what is Christ's and adding it, ministering it to your own life. Um, Exactly. Yeah. Yes. 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 Yeah. And he's going to talk about prophecy. Prophecy, which is the promise of what is coming. And uh, yeah. And so all of it. It's like. But this is not really, this is just, okay, how can I, as a person who believes that I am a partaker of the divine nature, that I have everything I need for life and godliness, how can I keep myself healthy? How can I sharpen my vision? How can I be, uh, to live in the truth of that? And that's what he's saying. You minister those qualities, those things to yourself, and then you're not useless or unfruitful. And we, we talked this morning about, you know, you know, I like to float in seawater. You know, I, I like swimming in the sea, and I especially like floating in the sea. And, um, but when you float in the sea, you know, it's calm, and you're looking up, and it's so peaceful, and you just think, what happens when you float in the sea? You realize how big the sea is. Yes, and, and the yes, sky. And, yeah, and the sky, and? Well, when you wake up, you are a million miles from where you started. Oh, I've been there. You think that you're just floating and more or less staying where you are, but you are actually being carried far away. That's the picture of the Christian life. You can't float in the Christian life. You can't just float through life as a Christian. You are called to pedal your feet, paddle your feet and move your arms. That is ministering to yourself. That's ministering to yourself. Because if you, if you just float, you're going to end up two miles from where you started. It's impossible to float and stay in the same place. That's what he's saying. Minister to yourself. Minister to yourself. Keep you know, going. And he's going to actually go on even more now and say, make sure, therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. For in, the, in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly um, supplied to you. So, in order to be an effective and productive Christian, avoiding you know, spiritual blindness and spiritual myopia, is to, to, is to make sure your foundation is, is solid. And the only way you can check the depth and the solidness of a foundation is to put something on it. And what he's saying to put on it is add, supply, minister to yourself moral excellence and knowledge and self-control and, and those things. And as you add onto the foundation, you're going to check out, is this foundation going to hold me? Is this house going to be built? Do you see what I mean? It's just, it's so straightforward. It's not, well, I'm not sure you're saved. Oh my goodness, I don't think you're saved. It's just, you'll know if you're saved or not when you start to put these things on the foundation. And he's talking to them. He thinks they are. 
because he's writing to them as believers. And he's saying, but, you know, make sure, make certain about your foundation. I say foundation because that word sure or certain means foundation. It means, um, yeah, uh, test your foundation, test your guarantee. I mean, it's, it's translated as secure, guaranteed, firm, courage, confidence, and force in scripture. There's lots of different ways to translate the word that means uh, sure or certain. Um, I'm picking foundation because I think that that's what he's saying. Check out your foundation. Hmm? Maybe fundamentals, yeah, yeah, maybe that too. So, but it's like, I like foundation because he's telling you to build on what you already have. And, and so for me, that was really a, a picture that I could take and say, okay, um, am I standing on the right foundation? You know, will this foundation um, give me confidence with God or will it take from my confidence? You know, if, if I stand, am I building on, sh on shifting sand or on the solid rock? That's what Jesus says, isn't it? He says about house on the rock and house on the sand. That's what Peter says. He's just taking that picture and he's saying, make sure, make certain. And, he, and when he says, um, be all the more diligent, that word for more diligent, that phrase means eagerly desire. So it's like eagerly desire, be eager to test this foundation, to make sure that you're actually standing on the right foundation. This is not a judgment. Uh, oh my goodness, you're not standing on the right foundation. This is, why wouldn't you want to do this? Because you don't want to build, spend your whole life building on something that is going to crumble and collapse. And again, why is he saying this? Is it because... He thinks they're not saved. No, it's because he knows there's false teaching. And if he knows there's false teaching, he's absolutely sure there will be some who haven't heard the true gospel. And he wants to make sure that, um, that when we build, we're building on the, on the right foundation. So the way, how do you test your foundation? Just, I've just said it, so just make sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You're starting to build this temple, this temple to God. You're starting to build up the house of God on this foundation. And, um, yeah, the way you do it is that you grow in your participation. You're taking part in the divine nature. Um, what will happen if you do that? You'll be fruitful. Yeah, you'll be fruitful and useful. But how, how else will it be? What else will you do? I mean, just look at some of the qualities he said. I mean, he actually says here, um, uh, if you practice these things, you will never stumble. So one thing you know is if you practice those things, you won't stumble and fall so often. You'll find you're not stumbling and falling so often. Um, but what else do you think might happen? I mean, we said that you'd be more gracious because you'd be more like Christ. Um, what else would you find? Yeah, you're not going to be led astray so easily. What are the big characteristics of God? Love. Love. You'll find you're more loving. Because you see how he goes on that list. And I think those, those characteristics, they're specific, and they're specifically in that order. He, he ends with love. 
The one before it is brotherly kindness, but the final one, the, the, the high point, is love. Agape love, the love of God. Um, so you'll stumble less often, you'll love more often, and um, because that's happening, what Peter said right at the beginning in his letter, he said, may grace and truth be multiplied, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So because you're ministering to yourself, because you're checking yourself out, you're checking your foundation, you're, you're doing that and it is testing your foundation, what you'll find is grace and peace will be multiplied in you, to you. You will know the grace of God in your life. You will be gracious out and you will know his peace. You will be at peace with God and you will, you will experience the peace of God. So, yeah. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget what's happened. And just keep building on that foundation. That's what he's, he's going to say. And he, he's going to carry on now. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. That was such a good verse for me. <laughs> even though you already know them and have been established in the truth, which is present with you. Can you see? I mean, he's talking to believers. And he knows that they're believers. But he wants to encourage them to, you know, to carry on. I consider it right, he says, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling, to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure, you will be able to call these things to mind. Um, Jesus said he came to give us life, and life abundant. Um, and Peter, right at the beginning, says you've been given everything for life and godliness. And the life is not, he's not talking, I mean, godliness would do, wouldn't it? You've been given everything for godliness. So you want to be holy, you want to live like Christ, you've already got everything. But that wasn't enough. You've been given everything for life. Life. Eternal life, this abundant life that Christ promised you have already been given minister those things to yourself and as you do all of that I just went on a bit too quickly what does he say the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you um, yeah mm. Let them report the deeds of the saints, not depart from your eyes. Mm. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, so they will be life to your soul and grace to your mm. Yeah, it is. It is. What's that? Proverbs 3? Proverbs 3, mm. verses 20 to 23. Oh, thank you. Yeah. But it just sums it up mm. so Absolutely. Yeah. It does. So it's just, you know, I think what the false teachers were doing um, and are still doing is they're promoting the uh, miracle, the sign, the, the now experience, the, the everything now and like, you know, gold dust coming down and all of this stuff. And what Peter's saying is so much better. 
but it, it's, it's, not, it's only better to someone who's on a sure foundation and who really is eager to become like Christ. And, and, and that's the differential, isn't it? That's how you know, have I believed a false gospel? Have I, am I not standing on the right foundation? And I think he was really at pains, even from the beginning of his letter, to make sure they understood that this is glorious and amazing. And this is the life that Christ came to give us. And that's why he's going to keep on reminding them. I mean, and could he have done anything better than write a letter that we have 2,000 odd years later? So then um, he says, therefore, I'll always be ready to remind you. He knew when he was going to die and he knew how he would die, Peter. He knew because he says, Jesus, I know that laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. So he knew um, how he would die. And, um, you know, tradition has it he was crucified in Rome, and he knows that in this letter he's going to die soon. Crucified upside down, that's the tradition. It was in Rome. Yeah, that's the tradition, whether that's true or not. Um, um, and he wanted to make sure that he reminded them, even though they knew this stuff, he wanted to keep on reminding them. Um, he knew they were established in it. He knew that they, they knew this truth. But he just, he, it was so important to him that they keep reminding themselves that he wrote it all down. Um, so... Was it, sorry, just an mm, observation. If it was in Rome that he was... Crucified upside down. Isn't that interesting? Because so much of Rome has got everything upside yes. down. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. 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 Yes. yes. Um, okay. And so now, having reminded them, what he's going to do now is to turn to um, the false teachers who have um, are introducing destructive heresy into the church, and. Um, and so he's going to start in verse 16 to say, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honour and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him, on the holy mountain. So Peter is really starting now, as he, he starts that little section, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales. So there are some who follow cleverly devised tales. There are some who, um, who are devising those tales, and there are some who are following those tales. And, um, but he's, what he's going to do is talk about this particular event um, recorded in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the transfiguration of Christ. And he's going to talk about that and use that as the kind of uh, jumping board off into his teaching about false teachers and false prophets. Um, what was the significance then of the transfiguration? I mean, what does he use it for here? Just one of the things he uses it for. I mean, when he starts with that, for we did not follow cleverly devised tales, for we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So what, what's Peter doing here? Exactly. He's, he, yes. 
he's authenticating his own ministry. He's saying, you know, we actually saw this. We were eyewitnesses of this. So it's confirming his testimony, really, about Jesus. I mean, you remember in Matthew 16 where Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And he, you go through all of those different things, and then he turns to Peter and says, but who do you say I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that testimony is confirmed by the, the transfiguration that Peter was... Um, was uh, to see and actually in Matthew Matthew 16 is where Jesus says who do people say that I am and Matthew 17 is where you get this, the account of the transfiguration so it's almost like straight away afterwards Peter's um, confirmation gets his test you know this confirmation um, Peter saw Christ in his glory and he heard God the Father speak from heaven I mean this is amazing it's amazing and, and what he heard God say was, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Actually, I can't remember which gospel, but one of the gospel writers says that, the, that God said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Listen to him. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting that, that Peter will use this now because in this account of the transfiguration there's also another message which is ultimately his his main message in this letter he talks about seeing Christ in glory and hearing the majestic glory hearing God's voice and all of that to say to point to that there is a promised kingdom that is coming Christ is coming back because that's how he's going to end. People say, oh, everything's continuing the same as it's always continued. Where is the promise of his coming? And Peter's saying here, this is the promise of his coming. This is the promise of his coming. And in all three Gospels where it's recorded, it's introduced by a statement about the kingdom of God. Um, we'll just go to Matthew, just to show you that. Matthew, uh, Matthew 16 at the end of Matthew 16, uh, verse 28. Sorry, Pam, I think I might have dozed now. <laughs> you said this is the promise, the promise of his coming. Yeah. What is um, transfiguration? Yes, oh. that, that um, because he saw the glory of Christ and, and he, he knows that Christ, that Christ is coming back. Uh, Matthew 16, 28. Truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And then look, verse, chapter 17, verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John his brother and led them up on a high mountain themselves, and he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light, and behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. And then Peter saying, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles. Now, I think there's so much in this and that we could probably spend hours in all the things that we can see here. But one of the things, or, well, why don't you tell me some of the things that, that, that Peter could take from this uh, transfiguration that took place in front of him. Um, Veracity of prophecy. Yeah, the veracity of prophecy. And he's going to go on to that. We have the prophetic word made more sure. He's going to talk about that in his letter. Um, um, 
But Jesus had promised that before they died, they would see the kingdom of God come in power. In power. Where did that take place? Pentecost. Well, Pentecost, yes. But it took place in uh, the transfiguration, the actual transfiguration of Christ between the, be, before them. It took place at the resurrection and when they saw the uh, resurrected Christ Jesus and uh, his ascension when they saw him go up in the clouds and again at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was sent. But imagine this to Peter and James and John who were there. Um, he's told them he's going to a cross and now he's showing them this, they're having this glory. It's an amazing thing, an amazing thing. Um, because, because didn't they need to know, if you're going to a cross, what's happening to this promised kingdom? How's that going to come then? And so they have this whole, um, this whole event in front of them. Who's, they see three figures, who, uh, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. And what's Peter's reaction? Uh -huh. Yeah, I'll build three tabernacles. What do you think he was thinking then? They're going to worship the three of them. There you go. Wow. Look, Moses and Elijah and Jesus. My goodness, we'd better build three tabernacles. What's God's answer to that? This is my son. This is my son. So that's the one. He is supreme and preeminent. Moses and Elijah, both great men of God, but not God and not the Son of God. Exactly. And also there's, of course, so much more. Moses representing the law, Elijah, the prophets, and Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So it's just, there's so much in there that you could go to. The majestic glory, um, uh, you know, speaking of God, and uh, just, well, as I say, um, and then this is my beloved son, and here Peter says, with, uh, with whom I am well pleased. Yeah, um, yeah and then listen to him. Um, so why would he use this event, do you think, Peter, to kick off his starting to talk about the, the rise of false prophets, or the false prophets that were coming in? Yes, it does. Well, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah. So it's a complete example of prophecy being fulfilled. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And the fact that he's he's completely refuting the false teaching that the kingdom of God will never come. He's just completely wiped that off because well, I've actually seen, I've seen this God and how he's coming back. I've seen him. And the thing is. If you deny the second coming of Christ, what happens to the people who are listening to that? I mean, we're in a church that actually doesn't think much about the second coming of Christ. You know, the awful thing is, we say every service, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ is will come, come yeah, again. Yeah. But, you know, are yeah. they just words we say? I think, yeah, I, I, yeah. it's hard, isn't it? But we, but I think we live in it. We live with that kind of well. Someday, someday, you know, maybe, someday. But the thing is, if you if you say Christ is not coming back, then what are you actually depriving yourself of, or stripping from your faith and? Constant expectancy. 
Yeah. It does, yeah. It does. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Hope. All hope is gone if Christ is not coming back. Really? If, if, this is, if he's not going to come back and, and set up his earthly kingdom, then what else is not true about what he said? He said he was coming back. I go to prepare a place for you. Then I, I will come back and take you to be with myself. So he's definitely coming back. The whole of the Old Testament talks about his earthly kingdom. Revelation talks about his, his reign on earth. If those things are not true, what else is not true? There you go. So if you start to say, I, Christ is not coming back, everything, which is what they were saying, everything's continuing the way it always is, it's, it's not just that one event that you're denying. It's just this, yeah, this kind of domino trail of, um, of everything. Um, idea that he's not coming back you actually have spiritual myopia and that's what he's just talked about if, if he's presenting the transfiguration experience to say I know he's coming back because I've seen him the way he will be or the way he is and the way he's coming back and so I know this is happening so for Peter so much was affirmed to him and confirmed in that one experience of seeing Jesus he knew he was the son of God. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. He knew now, knew absolutely he was the son of God. Um, it confirmed the truth of the scriptures. Every, all the Old, Old Testament prophecy, he understood it now and he, he believed it. There's something in this, um, uh, in Luke's gospel, actually, I don't want to skip over it, sorry. Luke chapter 9, verse 31, which is the account of the tra uh, transfiguration. Luke 9, verse 31. Um, where are we? Um, well, I'll go to verse 30. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. That word departure means exodus. It is actually exodus. So he, they were speaking of his exodus, which he would accomplish at Jerusalem. That's interesting. Isn't it? He's going to accomplish his exodus or his departure. What is the exodus? What did he accomplish? The redemption of sinners. The, the redemption of sinners. In the same way, yeah, exactly, as God redeemed his people out of Egypt, we are redeemed out of sin. It's exactly the same. And the word's exactly the same. The departure means exodus. And, and it, when, you, when you see that, it just opens up what it, what it is that he's done. 
So, Jesus Christ is definitely God, <laughs> and he's definitely the Son of God, because his exodus brings about redemption. His death on the cross brings about the redemption of sinners. Um, it, the transformation, as I say, already confirmed the truth of the scriptures. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets, so he fulfilled them. And it confirms the reality of God's kingdom because, um, because Peter knew that the kingdom of God was definitely coming. He could trust it, even though he now was beginning to understand that that glory would be preceded by suffering. And actually, that's a huge lesson, isn't it? It's a huge lesson for us as Christians. Glory always comes after suffering. It's not glory and then suffering. It's always suffering and then glory. Um, Can I just make a comment mm. about somebody who doesn't believe in the coming back, Jesus mm. coming back? Scary to be with them. Because actually, like everything else, you believe one error and then others are very easily attached yeah. to that error. That's it. That's the sadness yeah. of Paul's teaching. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. Not believing the truth. Yeah, exactly. Helen Molden used to say that if you, um, she'd read somewhere, but I'd only heard it from her, that if you get uh, knocked over by one wave of false teaching, the second wave knocks you much quicker. And you know what that's like. I know what that's like getting out of the sea. You try to get out of the sea decorously, and the first wave tips you over, and then you just about get to your feet. But the second one, you're down. You can't get up. That's the idea. That's what, yeah, false teaching does that. It just completely knocks the life out of you and the strength, hope. Very, very, very dangerous. Because it, it does strip you of the abundant life that Christ came to give you. And it takes away the hope and the joy and the everything. And therefore, you can't be fruitful and you can't be useful. And so effectively, you are effectively living as an unbeliever. You, you are a believer, but you are living as an unbeliever because you're believing, you're just Denied. deceived. Yes. Um, it's just sad, Peter. Mm -hmm. so much. Mm -hmm. I, well, I think it was definitely because he wrote, he wrote it, and he, he says, I know I'm telling you what you already know, I know I'm telling you what I already know, but it's so important, I've got to tell you again, and I'm going to write this letter, and so you'll have it always, this is so important, and, um, yes. Yeah. In Duke, it's, I think it's really funny, it's where, um, in this account of the Transfiguration, where he says, let's build three tabernacles, one for each of you. And then in brackets in my translation, he did not know what he was saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah, yeah. here in Peter, he clearly knows what he's saying. Yeah. yeah. That was the exactly. Yeah. Definitely, it is. I mean, in Peter, you see that transformation really, yeah. really loud and clear. Um, and and uh, you know, I think that I think this this thing about the suffering to glory is just again really important because false teachers will have you believe that you can have the glory without suffering that that it's that you can have everything that that god doesn't want you to suffer he doesn't want you to go through any difficulty why would he want that he's a glorious blessing wonderful god but actually the the opposite is true it's not that you did go through it, you were failure. Yes, you exactly. Your faith is so not strong enough. Mm. Yes. 
exactly. As it's I say, yeah, it is. Um, and I think, remember, who's Peter and James and John? They're at the Mount of Transfiguration. They are going to suffer particularly and specifically for Christ. They each, three of them, were um, murdered. Uh, Peter crucified, James beheaded, John burned up, uh, turned up, boiled upside down in a vat of oil on Patmos. Tradition says, I, I mean, I don't know that for sure, but that's what tradition says. tradition said he survived that. Maybe. I don't know how you would survive being turned upside, you know, boiled in a vat of oil, I don't know. But yeah, maybe he did and died of burns or something. Well, he was old when it happened to him. He was 90-odd, because that's how old he was when he wrote Revelation. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe he did. I think he was 90, as I say, 90-odd when he wrote Revelation. Quite amazing. Yeah. Um, Okay, so finally, in, in go back to Second Peter then, to um, where we were, wherever that was. That was at uh, chapter 1, verse... Um, uh, where are we? Yeah. Um, verse 16, so we did not follow cleverly devised tales for when... And then um, uh, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that word power, Peter has used right in the beginning of his letter, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. His divine power um, brought Jesus or it brought Jesus to glory through the cross, brought Jesus to resurrection life and glory and it will bring him back the second time and that's what you see um, the power of God the divine power of God um, will bring Jesus Christ back to this planet and it is that power that is at work towards us his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness I mean sometimes you can't get it in can you, you can't take it in but the this power of God is at work. Paul will write about it in Ephesians, the surpassing great power that is at work towards us. I pray that you understand that. Um, and here Peter's saying, he uses that word twice in these verses, um, you know, this magnificent power of God that, that raised Christ from the dead, that uh, sent the Holy Spirit, that will bring Christ back again, is actually forming in you the character of Christ. I mean, that's a small job, isn't it, compared to bringing Jesus back? Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe. <laughs> maybe, um, yeah. Yeah, maybe. So, I think we'll stop there, actually, because um, I think he goes on um, in verse 19 to start backing up his own experience with the prophetic word made more sure. Um, to which you do well to pay attention. Um, uh, yeah, and then on to the false prophets in chapter 2. So, um, really, I suppose the, the takeaway thing for me from this section, because he's, he's finished his introduction here. This is his introduction finished. And um, it's 
for me, it was this understanding that I'm ministering to myself if I take from the, what Christ has already made available to me. And that, why would I not do that? <laughs> why would I not minister to myself? Um, knowing that that was, that was going to really assure me that I am in Christ and he is in me, that I'm standing on a strong foundation, on the right foundation, that I won't have to question my salvation. Peter's not telling me to do this to question my salvation, quite the reverse. He's doing it, telling me to do this to, to, to show my salvation, to be assured of it. People who follow false teachers are almost always uncertain about their salvation. People who are, um, yeah, they're almost always questioning, am I really saved? Can I really be sure? It's a terrible place to be. Yeah, it's a terrible place to be. And and why does God ask us to do these things really? I mean, why is he saying minister to yourself? Because he loves you and doesn't want you to spend another day unsure of who you are and unsure of who he is. He wants you to be sure and certain, not so necessarily just so that you can go out and be useful and fruitful because he's got a billion other people to be useful and fruitful. But for your own sake, for our sake, he does that. Um, Don't you think that um, false teachers will also try and make people feel unsure about Definitely. It their, um, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, exactly. And you need to do this and do that and do the other thing. That can be very unsteadying if you're at a weak place. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It says Satan, in his first letter, Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And the, easier, the easiest people to devour are those who are unsure and unsteady and who haven't ministered to themselves and who haven't heard the truth and who haven't fed themselves with that truth. And I mean, you know, I really do love that uh, phrase, which probably is not for you, but it's really for me. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them. Someone on Saturday, a guy who came for the first time, really nice, and, and he meant this in, in a very positive way. He asked me what the title of the next conference was, and I told him, and, and he said, so I suppose that's just going to be the same rehashed, <laughs> repackaged. And I, he didn't mean it badly at all. He didn't. He, was, he, was, he didn't. And I said, yeah, I said, but that's the whole Bible. It's, it's one story repackaged all the time. And, and it... He was, yeah, yeah. But don't tell him I said so, because I wouldn't want him to know. Because, yeah, I wouldn't want him to think that I had, because I was absolutely fine. And, and it, but it was good for me actually, because I could say to him, "Well, that's the Bible," and really, that's what Peter's saying. I know you know this stuff, but I'm, I'm telling you again, it's the same thing repackaged all the time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yes. 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 Exactly. Yeah. 
exactly, and how much we forget and how quickly we get distracted. And, and actually how we can so easily misunderstand this stuff and, and hear it as a rule and a regulation. And I think I've said so many times, I don't do well with rules and regulations. I know that I don't, humanly speaking. I don't like someone telling me what I've got to do because my instinct is I don't have to do what I don't want to do. That's always been the way. Well, it's like at the beginning, you know, when they said close your eyes, stand up. Oh, this, there you go, that. yeah. That is very interesting <laughs> okay. because, you know, I'm used to a freedom with yeah. worship and sort of yeah. it's just God and me. It's yeah. not somebody dictating yeah. from the front yeah. what you should do. Yeah. It's an interesting I scenario. Know. I used to go to a church where they said, uh, you know, everybody stand and... And I, know, I just didn't. I didn't want to. I wanted to sit down. And the only reason I, in the end, got up was because it was only people who were infirm and very old who didn't get up. And I thought, I, I want that even less than... <laughs> yeah, you know, I just thought, I, I actually, you know, I'm going to... But I think it's this, the understanding that these are not rules and regulations. There's no should and shouldn't. This is just, I want to bless you with this. Will you receive this blessing? And I love that about God and how he is. Yes, perfect freedom. And and the next conference is called Born Free. Is it? Yes, no, it is. I've never asked Yeah, it's called Born Free. Galatians 5, verse 1. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. Do not yoke yourself again to... Uh, oh, that's a bad misquote, but something like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, Father, thank you that um, thank you that you keep on repackaging this same thing for us, so that we really do understand it, and so that we can look at it from different angles. Father, it's just wonderful to do that, and I thank you for it. I thank you for this word. I thank you for the sureness of it and the foundation that it sets in us. And I thank you that we can build on that foundation, and and that I, for one, Lord, having seen that word minister. It's just opened my eyes to the greatness of your mercy and grace and, and your love for me and how you would want to encourage me to do that. I, I'm so grateful for it, Lord, and I thank you that, um, that, you, that you showed it to me and that I could share it this evening. And, and I pray, Father, for each one of us that we will begin to, uh, to do that for ourselves, to minister to ourselves. Um, your wonderful character to, to partake of the divine nature. And I thank you, Lord, that you will enable us to do that, for that is your desire for each one of us. So, Lord, we want to say we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.